You're listening to the Full of Hope Podcast. I'm RJ Hurd, and today is our second episode with Tracy Wade. Get ready to have your pulse pounding as she shares an experience she faced that nightmares are made of. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone. Because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. Hey, everybody. If you haven't listened to the last episode we released, I suggest you stop this one and go ahead and do that. It'll provide a lot of context for this episode. And I gotta say, the story that Tracy is about to share describes something I never would have expected to have on this podcast, but um, it's an incredible story. Just for a reminder, here's where we left the last episode off. The bedroom door, um, the frame literally like shattered across the room. Um, The door flies open and the yelling that was happening, you're kind of blinking and going, what's going on? Um, Men uh, fully masked in all black, um, at least three of them. Alrighty, let's pick it up from there. We'll just pick it right back up then. So, so okay. picking up from the last episode, um, Tracy, you've you've received um, treatment for cancer. You've had surgeries. Um, your your friend has come from out of town to see you. the The night she was staying, the night you had had some some folks in the backyard, and you kind of yelled loudly to your husband hey there's somebody in the backyard they took off right and then it was three days later that it's now nighttime we heard you describe at the end of the last episode you end up with essentially the doors blown off of your bedroom and you're facing now three masked men with guns did i did i recap that accurately yes yeah Okay, um, so so pick us I'm pick us up from three there. Weeks, well, oh no, I'm about four weeks post mastectomy. You know, I'm still not using my arm. Um, I had just sat up because I thought I better go see what the boys are doing. What's that noise? And the door explodes off the frame. I mean, bits of frame were found on the other side of the room. Oh my gosh! And the screaming, the yelling, was military-esque like a movie and I've never been involved in a violent crime like this so it was very it was not like the movies except for like how I would expect a military tactical team to break in and like get the bad guy and they're Um, yelling are they yelling commands at you or at each other or both could you tell because were you oriented get down get down okay shut up and lots lots of f-bombs lots of swearing but very um it was not like a bunch of drug addicts broke into our house that you were scared they were accidentally going to kill you this was very tactical and very processed a very almost rehearsed mm. um I, I i've told you know our statements was that it felt like um, police activity, although definitely not police. I mean, they, they yelled at my, so both of my boys are very tall. They're six foot seven. Um, they're big boys. The one was coming down the hall, um, 
because he heard the noise and he was playing an online game. And he's like, I got to go check this out. He was coming down the hall and the guys were coming up the stairs and they said, get down. It's the police. So he, he dropped and then they, they pulled him into my, the middle son's room that kind of overlooked the door. And they had both of those boys down face down on the floor with a gun to their head. And they're both upstairs. They were both upstairs, which the whole thing is so weird. Like, first of all, on an eight 30 on a Monday night, most of us, we're not upstairs. So who knows how long they were watching the house and knew that. Um, the dog was, I mean, the dog didn't even have a chance to bark or anything. Hmm. And he's, he's not, I mean, he was a border collie. So he's kind of, he would kind of lick you more than he would ever bite you. But it was like, there was so much yelling. And then my husband never even had time to like sit up in bed. He, he had a gun to his head immediately I, they turned and walked out to go back out to the boys. And I ran and hid in the bathroom. We had a ensuite bathroom, but a separate potty room. And I wedged myself between the toilet and the wall because they weren't going to find me there, which is in broad daylight. But that's, your brain doesn't. But it felt safe there. Somehow it seemed like the right move, but they came back and they were, they were yelling where, where's the bitch? Where is she? And they were going to kill my husband if he didn't say she's right there. And so I was giving myself up. I'm right here. I'm right here. Oh, so they're yelling at your husband to find out where you are? Where I had gone. And they, I I gave myself up instantly. Mm -hmm. And then they grabbed my hair and I had cut my hair off because I knew I was starting chemo soon. So I had very short hair at that point. And they dragged me back into the room and it, and there's like there's a guy standing over Steve screaming at him and there's a guy um throwing everything out of our closets and they start yelling and I'm we're still very confused why they're there but they're throwing stuff and they're di- they're trashing the master bedroom mm. and and I cannot hear my kids at all but I know somebody's down there with them and they're so long and tall I could see my one son's feet sticking out in the hallway and I just thought oh my gosh she's they've killed him and oh, so as a mother moving or anything no he they were they were and they were following I mean we are all alive today because we followed the directions and we did exactly what they said mm. um oh and gosh. I had always kept um any extra drugs you know the kids if they had their wisdom teeth out and had um extra I don't keep extra drugs now but I did then just throw them in a little safe from Rite Aid or whatever from the drugstore. It has a little combo on the top so that you could open it. And Mm. it just didn't seem, so there's like, I had, my one son had uh, dealt with some ADHD. So we had some Adderall. I just didn't think that seemed safe to leave. So I stuck it in the, it was just like a shoebox size safe. Sure. I probably hadn't opened it in, I don't know, so long that the guy, one guy comes out and he sets it down on the bed where they've dragged me by my hair. And actually right before that, so they're dragging me and my husband yells, leave her alone. She has cancer. And the guy that's standing next to him, he has like a skeleton mask on. It's like the scariest thing. It's like the worst scary movie ever. He says, shut the F up and cracks him with his gun across his head. And literally I saw like, blood 
Like I've never seen blood like this. I've never seen oh it was like everywhere. And then they flipped him over and put a pillow over his head, stuck the gun in the back of the head and held him there. I was sure, like, I have not seen blood. Like, so I thought he was dead. Oh so I think my, my kid's dead. I think my husband's dead. He's yelling. I've got a gun to my head. And the guy's just screaming like decibels so loud, open the safe. And the dumb thing ran out of batteries. <sighs> it had been so long since I had opened it. It didn't have any, you would punch the buttons and it was supposed to go beep, 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 beep. Yeah. No batteries. So, but it's clearly from, it's not a fancy safe. Like you could like jack that with a right um, screwdriver hit it yeah. throw it out the window i'm like get Take me it. a screwdriver i'll open it and the guy's like if you don't have this open by the time i count to 10 you're dead but he's screaming and it's just like ah. is it light what is are the lights on in the room oh yeah lights were on we have both had our bed lights on the tv's still playing so it's loud and mm. and, and they're all they're yelling at each other and they're yelling where's the cash? And I'm thinking, I think I have 40 bucks in my purse. You know, where's the cash? Where's the cash? And I'm like, I don't need, I have $40. No, that's not the money we want. And then, then some, one of the guys is like, where's the meth? And I'm like, the what? <laughs> the, mm. the meth? What? I think there's some methacarbonol, which is my muscle relaxer for my, you know, I, clearly clueless. Mm-mm. I mean, but our house was like a right, like we had a milk crate on the front, you know, because we were believers, you know, there's some signs that are like love and there's some crosses hanging and it's like pictures of our family. Mm. So I'm not sure exactly what they thought they were walking into, like that we were a meth house. They clearly, and the only room they truly trashed was our master bedroom. And I don't know anything about meth houses or meth dealing it but maybe they keep it in the master bedroom i don't even mm. know mm. but this well i saw breaking bad so i can <laughs> say if they started yelling for heisenberg then you know you have a problem well and steve is bald so we were kind of thinking that maybe they thought we were the new Heisenberg. that's crazy oh my gosh i mean the like no joke, like no, they're there crazy. to get to get meth and cash, and you're like an upper middle scale house, like with the crosses on the wall and live life love or laugh yeah. love or like what all those signs are like yeah. my lord. Like it's it's just unfathomable. It, Is that a word? Unfathomable? That's it, it wasn't a word the way you said it, no, but we no, know what we know what the word's that. supposed to say, though. But. I can't do it. I'm just, I, I'm truly yeah, so this, speechless. It, 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 it was, and it, it seemed like it went on forever. And they ended up, so they, we never got the safe open. So the guy just grabbed me by the hair again and then drug me down the hall to my boys and laid me on top of them. And then they stuck guns back in all of our heads and said, if you move, we will kill you. And uh, they you just put, realized you're sons are okay though now yes yes so they're like mom we're here we're here we're good we're good and yeah they're they're fine like not not injured not hit not touched just obviously terrified and but they took all our phones and um so we there was no way and of course these days we don't have a landline um but here's where so as a mother we as a parent, you know, we all have things that are hot buttons. And 
the state of my oldest child's room was never one of my hot buttons. I was a more like, I'm going to pick my battles. Let's just close your door. Well, here's where it all paid off because his room was such a catastrophe that they didn't find his cell phone. So we tried, we ended up laying there and I could see, so where we were, we're situated like above the front door. So literally, and the strange thing was they actually closed the front doors, even though they were totally busted, they closed them on their way out, like good manners. And, and it's like 9.05 at night. I mean, people walk their dogs in our neighborhood at 9.05. And, but the doors, I can tell there, there's just a little gap of darkness. So you don't know if they're sitting there with the gun pointed, because if you move, they're going to shoot. That's what they told us. They're going to kill us if we move. So you can't see them on the other side in the dark. But I tell my son, I'm like, where you are in the room, even if they can see up here, they can't see you grab your computer, grab your computer and we'll call 911. Mm. Because that makes sense. So it it got quiet then, right? Like they left and then it was quiet. We could only hear the TV in the other room. And we were calling Steve's name, but he was under the pillows. And with the pillows and the TV, he didn't know if we were still the bad guys. And he couldn't really okay. hear. And he has like blood gushing out of was he, Was Did he lose consciousness after getting um, caught? I don't really know exactly. I mean, by the time um, the police arrived, he was awake. But, and he, I mean, it was all such a blur. And of course, in his mind, you know, he knew I had been taken. He didn't know what was happening to me and mm. where I was and what they were doing. And so his brain was going down that. And then, you know, um, the responsibility of, well, the man of the house and he's stuck in like bleeding out and he was supposed to protect us. Like There was no chance for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what best thing the police told us was don't read what people are going to say when they comment online, because they're all going to, you know, people are like, oh, well, in our house, we would have, we would have been ready and had our guns and we oh. had no weapons Yeah. at that point. And so um, there was nothing for them to take. There would have been zero chance. And it was us against like trained people. Yeah. Um, and having the kids separated, like there would have been zero chance. We, we just followed directions yeah. and it saved our lives. So we're laying there. So my son, it makes a lot of sense that we're going to call 911 on his computer, which is totally not a thing you can do. You can't do that. But at the time when you're freaking out, it's like call 911 on the computer, which doesn't work. So I thought maybe, uh, well, I, thought I was maybe wondering how this like, was going to happen. I, yeah, I, no, I, pictured you, I pictured you using like Google voice or something like that on your computer. Cause maybe yeah, that, there is, that can work. There is no capacity to think that oh, my far gosh. out. Oh, <laughs> it no, was somehow no. you were going to type 911 and it was going to call them. 911.com. Who knows? Yeah. My yeah. Gosh. That's not a thing. But, but you're, but like, you're thinking like, this is the technology we have available. I can access yeah. this and somehow this has to help me. Right. And, and but like I couldn't remember a single phone number or a single email or mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. So it was like who? Do, how do we call? And you couldn't like there was no capacity mm-hmm. to 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 sort that out. Mm-hmm. So we laid there for about ten minutes, and my son's like, I think they're gone, mom. And he army crawled to his room. Of course, his phone was there because his room was so messy they couldn't find it. So they grab his phone, he grabs his phone, he comes back and he plays dead again because we're not moving. 
And so we call the police and we were in um, a part of Renton that's unincorporated King County. So it took the police about 10 minutes, the sheriff's department to get there. And when they get a call like that, um, it's very unusual. And they sent like the entire, I think there was seven to nine cars that responded, a couple fire engines, an ambulance. Hmm. Um, was it all like lights blazing? Like you could hear them coming down the road type of thing? No, they don't do that. It's not okay. at all like the movies. You hmm. are freaking out and you're like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And they're like, we're coming, we're coming please stay in, you know, please stay in a safe place. And you're like, I don't hear anything. Well, apparently they don't want the bad guys to know they're close in case they're running or so they're Mm. looking as they're trying to get to us to protect us, but they don't, their lights were going, but no sound. So they literally have, they tell you on the phone, we are, um, we're outside now. This is us coming in. You know, please stay there. You know, and they're asking, do you have a gun? No, we don't have any guns. We don't have anything. Um, and so they came in and once they came up the stairs, I told my boys, go. So our um, best friend lived at the end of the cul-de-sac. I said, go get Jeff and tell him them that Steve's not alive. Go get him because we need help. So mm. my kids run. They come back with our friend. Steve's not dead which is good. And he is sitting on the side of the bed and they are bandaging him with an ace bandage, like around the top of his head and under his chin. And he literally looks like a scary, like there's so much blood caked on him and he can't, he was supposed to keep holding something. So they bandage like the gauze pad to the top of his head mm-hmm. and they're asking him. So this isn't, this is one of my funny stories that got us through the whole part. They are bandaging him. They're asking him, what happened? How'd you get the injury? He says, I was pistol whipped. And I'm thinking, this is why I love this man. Because he is telling people, this is, that's bad. He is just blurting it out. Sure enough, 10 o'clock news comes on. It says, Renton man pistol whipped. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the entire world knows about this horrible, horrible, horrible thing that's happened to my sweet husband. Oh my gosh. But I don't say anything. And we're going through the, like, we have 15 sheriffs in our house. We all have to give separate statements. Your brain is, like, crazy hijacking. Um, I have a sprained knee and rug burns from being dragged. I'm wondering if my implant, my expander, and you can't focus. You can't, you're trying to have a conversation and get interviewed. And literally, all I could think of was, I lost my glasses. I can't find my glasses. And then I would go look for my glasses and then the policeman would follow me. Did you still have the drains in? I did not have drains, but I was not using my arm yet. Okay. So in something in my port felt really weird. So my port was on my right side. Okay. Like your clavicle area. Yeah. And it just kind of felt like creepy. Like I could feel it again. And so then I was thinking, Mm. Oh my gosh, my port's ruptured in my vein and, but you're kind of so scattered and and then terrified. So any peripheral vision movement makes you literally drop to the floor and cry. And Steve's walking around with this bandage with blood. And the boys and uh, my parents 
um, lived about 45 minutes away and we called them and they came, they, they took the boys um, back to their house. My, and my, we ended up not going in an ambulance, but my dad ended up driving us to Overlake because Steve clearly had to be seen. Mm-hmm. And we get to Overlake, it's like two in the morning. Um, we've been interviewed this whole time. Or no, maybe it was about midnight because we left there about 2.30. So it's like the longest, it, it's, it's so much worse than cancer that like cancer is all of a sudden like not even a problem anymore. Mm. I don't even care. Like it's just a, like now I have this huge trauma to deal with. Yeah. Who cares about the cancer? But we're sitting there in at Overlake and they literally bring us in knowing who we were, but they put us in a room like undercover so that the media can't find us and put us under false name so that we can be private. And we're in this special secure area that's safe. Um, and they have to pretend like all the workers have to pretend the nurses and the doctors, like they don't know who we are. So Steve's sitting there and this sweet nurse is like shooting lidocaine into his head, this huge gash. He's getting five staples in his head and, She's like, so what happened? And he says, oh, he's pistol whipped by these thugs. And I finally just exasperated. And the thing I love about my husband, he, he says he speaks the truth always. And he's never ashamed of anything. Like he just, he's just bold and just awesome that way. He says what he means and means what he says. And I finally, I just break down and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to you. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like well, isn't pistol whipping like that, like a, I think somehow in my brain, I thought it was like a sexual gun thing. I know. Holy moly. I know. This, oh my gosh. But I like, and she starts laughing. So the nurse, as she's jamming lidocaine into his head, she starts laughing so hard. And he looks at me like, where on earth did you come up with that? And I'm like, I don't even know. I've never even heard that word. I don't even, who, who even says pistol whipping? <laughs> I oh. thought that was like a. You thought so it was a thing. Oh, it okay. became, it became our, the thing that saved our life. Cause we would laugh. So then he would just say it to make me laugh because it was so, I still, I'm like blushing right now because it's kind of stupid, but it kind of saved us and it became our funny thing. And it was like on the news and then everybody, oh. I still don't say that, but everybody else does. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. So it's, that's it's more innocent than you thought, but it's still not innocent. It's still bad. It's, no, it's horrific. Completely it's different. Hard, but it clearly only means that he got hit on the head with the gun. So we got, we got that out of the open and we're all good. And wait, so hold on. So, okay. I'm just peeling this onion back a little bit more. So, so he's expressing what happened to him, right? And you're hearing him express it. And the first couple of times you hear it, you say nothing, but you're thinking in your mind, oh my God, he was violated with a pistol and <laughs> he went through that. And it wasn't until you said something to him about it that he's like, they conked me on the head with this thing. Yeah. Holy that's moly. It. Wow. So we have learned wow. in the entire process, our communication is critical. And <laughs> yeah. that we we always, it's always worth it to say the things that we're thinking because you could be way off base. Yeah. I, whether I it's about so. cancer, whether it's about 
being a victim of violent crime. Yeah. Whether it's about pistol whipping. My gosh. Yeah. Holy moly. Well, um, yeah, I, I'd be super interested to know if, uh, if others have had the same thoughts when they've heard that term about what it, what it means. I don't, I, I have no, I have zero idea how that ever came to be in my head. I, I'm not a real, like, I don't watch a lot of violent shows. I'm not really a, that's not kind of my, and I'm not a scary show kind of person. So did you ask your sons? Well, we've all laughed about it. Okay. Yeah, they knew, they knew it was a clearly just an infliction to the head. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm the only one. Oh my gosh. Who is so off base. But oh it my. did become the kind of, so humor has been a huge part of our journey and mm. just keeping it real and saying what's on your mind has proven to always be way better than keeping it in and worrying about something that really isn't even there. Yeah. And well, we did, did he say in that moment, like what it was? And then did oh, yeah. you guys find humor in it right then and there? Or? Oh yeah. We were all, oh, my I mean, gosh. even the nurse that the was nurse. injecting him was howling. It was, yeah, we were, it was, a, it was a teachable moment for me. Yeah. You learned a lot. <laughs> so well. it was, and then, so they checked me out. There's nothing wrong with, I had to end up getting the port x-rayed make sure it hadn't been moved I did it was just strained and I had a sprained knee and my expander was totally fine Hmm. okay but um I was supposed to be going back to work at that point and at the school and um that did not happen Hmm. um we ended up having to we moved in with my parents for two weeks so they have a two-bedroom rambler and all of a sudden, four of us moved in. My boys ended up sleeping. These two six foot seven boys slept together. And we were just so traumatized. You know, we couldn't have windows. And they kind of had these big windows. So that we ended up hanging sheets. Mm-hmm. And we had to, it was a feeling of like, like we couldn't be separated. Like this thing that had happened to the four of us meant we had to stay together. And so we we kind of ended up, moving in this pack and we, we found um, a doctor that would see all four of us together for mm. a, we were all in such a state of chronic panic and anxiety. Yeah. Um, sure. They were following us. Like they, you, you think crazy thoughts, like, do you know where they, and you're on the phone with like the victims of violent crime and people are trying to help you and social workers are calling. So all of a sudden I have shifted from camp breast cancer patient to victim of violent crime and then you're I'm going to pre-chemo appointments to find out so the way I've kind of described it is it it became a little bit of a of my lean to where I had this like one angle was breast cancer that felt like it could squish me at any time but what came in was this other trauma and they ended up kind of doing this like like you couldn't ever get lost in either one of them because you were constantly shifting from breast cancer survivor right. patient to Trauma victim survivor. of violent crime. Yeah. Are they chasing me? Do they know where I am today? Oh. I can't drive in the car by myself or I have a panic attack. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, so, so then, I mean, that, that points to the fact that they, they hadn't, at least at this point, they hadn't caught, they hadn't found out 
who was in your house, why they were there. Well, we knew why they were there, but they weren't caught. Yeah, no. And Steve was doing interviews because we felt like the awareness um, had to be there. Renton, um, the, the King County Sheriff's Department had never seen such a violent um, home invasion where there were not homicides. And they had not seen it where it was literally innocent people. Like usually if they get the wrong house, it's because they got the wrong bad guy house. Like either they're a grow house, but they went there for meth, but it's grow or guns or weapon stuff. Um, There usually is something going on there. They usually don't get it so wrong that it's just a family of four watching Netflix doing homework. Our goal with the Full of Hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page. Or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people, but we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. And so... I mean, we got assigned a detective right away. They found our phones um, just thrown out on the street about a mile away. Oh, we were wow. able to track our phones and found uh, mine was just out in the street behind the house. And then um, two of the other ones were up about a mile away in a shopping center parking lot. Um, but they, they, so they come in, they, they finger or they dust for fingerprints. And right. that's not at all like the movies either. It's this black, horrible like tiny dust it's everywhere it's on everything like they trash everything that could have been touched so our house is coated in fingerprinting dust mm. our uh, front door is now boarded up and screwed shut we have a friend that's a contractor that came and did that that night and we have left like we are pretty sure we're never going back oh wow yeah and a friend ended up giving us a um as long as we wanted but a a lovely um, top floor condo in downtown Seattle. And since I was starting chemo in another week, um, we ended up taking that. And so that I could, and during chemo, we lived downtown and we were able to walk. Well, the idea was that we could walk every week to chemo, but um, that didn't really work out, but we did walk twice and that was an adventure and we lived in it was felt very safe. It was a secure building. You had to have a special passcode to get up to our floor. Um, I kind of felt we all felt so um, the boys kind of lived between downtown and then at my parents' house. Um, okay. For when we stayed there for six weeks, you kind of vacillate between I'm never going back to, oh no, those guys don't get to take my house. I worked. Oh really, really, really hard for that house. And nope, I don't care. No bad guy has taken away my house. Mm -hmm. And, and then you get there and you're like, I can't stay in this house. I have another friend who's kind of a naturalist and uh, very spiritual. And she came and she had some very special sage material that was given to her by um, a chief at the Sundance festival and she saged our entire, first she did it without us there. Um, then we arrived and she drummed it, which just somehow. And then she put these special rocks and what it do you felt- mean, drummed it like the, like the, yep. okay. 
Yeah, like it used a big kind of um, Native American drum and she had some spiritual stuff that she kind of walked around and saged and it really made it, we loved that house. I mean, we we lived on the same street as a best friend. Uh, We knew all our neighbors. Um, But then, then we really knew our neighbors because we started a block watch program called Rise Up Renton and... Um, started meeting with King County Sheriff and the neighborhoods and implementing na- uh, block watch programs and really trying to drive communities to be front porch people versus backyard people. I think hmm. we get stuck in a rut where we move into neighborhoods and the garage door is on an automatic garage door. And we drive into our um, garages and put it down and we go into our backyards and you never even see your neighbors. Yeah. And we really started promoting just kind of this front yard feel and get Hmm. to know your neighbors and know what's going on and who's supposed to be in your neighborhood and who's not. And if you see something suspicious, call. Yeah. And the sheriff's department came out and did a presentation and said the same thing. And we started calling, everybody started calling on those, anything weird in our neighborhood. Right. Um, we probably called, I don't know, three or four times, just a suspicious car. And most of the time it, you felt a little bad because it was probably really harmless, but like, yeah. mm, there's a sign there for a reason. Don't, don't park. Yeah. <laughs> just move, go move along. Did, did everybody in the neighborhood like either have or get security cameras or like, was there a, a movement like that as well? Yes. Yeah. We all ended up with security cam. We ended up um, like our house, like it was like a fortress. We had multiple locks on every door and every window. We put in an alarm system. Uh, we had a panic button um, because we ended up moving back six to seven weeks later in May. Okay. I was, I had been through the hardest part of chemo. I was, um, I was on something called AC, which is also known as the red devil. Um had four treatments of that in starting in March and it um shockingly didn't agree with me oh no and but I made so they they did do some reduction of dosing but I did manage to get all four doses of that I I got sent home and after my first treatment um I got sent home twice when I tried to go back because my uh, blood counts and my numbers couldn't rebound fast enough to safely deliver the next round of chemo. Hmm. And, um, but I loved the, my experience in chemo was, so we, we lived downtown for the first two, we walked up to Swedish and it was like three miles. We we felt really good. And like three miles one way. Yeah, but like from down at the bottom, so you have to go up the hill to Capitol Hill to Swedish. Yeah, that's we saw not some a, very interesting things. Yeah, uh, I mean, also uh, I, for people who aren't familiar with Seattle, like that's not a shallow hill either. That's a steep hill. I was bound and determined if I could walk up the hill, I could survive chemo. That was okay. my thought process. Okay. So, so then I got sent home twice because my numbers wouldn't rebound. Then we go in for the second one. They um, give me my chemo and um, I have 
like weird side effects. I get super dizzy. My blood pressure would crash. So then they would have to. So my chemo um, infusions took about five hours. Okay. Um, and we always either had someone to drive us home or I don't think we ever Ubered, but that was always an option. Hmm. Um, there was always somebody to get us back down the hill. So we weren't walking that. But you're not staying the night at the hospital. You're going in, no. they're, they're hooking it up to your port, disconnecting you and you're heading home. Yeah. And the red devil, it literally is bright. It looks like, I mean, it's bright red and it's hmm. kind of this crazy, um, you get this thing called wasabi nose and you know how if you eat wasabi and it like shoots up into your head if you eat that clump that's way too much kind of like horseradish or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it literally gives that to you and well to some people to me totally gave it to me so they would have to infuse it with enough lick like and do it on the slowest drip possible because it literally felt like my nose was bleeding out (laughs) wasabi Really? Yeah. I just had really strange, strange side effects. My liver numbers just couldn't stay up. My body couldn't detox it um, fast enough. I ended up in the ER twice. One night I could not stop throwing up. Um, And so Steve, we were lost. He's trying to drive through the streets at two in the morning and we're pulling over. I'm throwing up, but you know, it is Seattle. So it's about par. It's about normal. It's <laughs> kind of normal. Just a Thursday. Uh, and we, we couldn't find the ER and we ended up at the wrong, we ended up at the Cherry Hill Swedish ER, which is kind of the brain center or in the heart attack ER, oh, no. not the cancer, but they took me anyway, and but they didn't have the right stuff to get fluids in me and check my port. So it was kind of a, kind of a crazy night, but they did stabilize me and then I ended up Back in the ER, they thought I and had to do chest x-rays because they thought I had pneumonia. Um, mm. But, you know, that part of trying to stay healthy during chemo is hard. Yeah. And, and you're I mean, so when COVID happened, I was like, oh, I've already basically been on lockdown for a year. I know how to do this. Right. <laughs> you know how to protect yourself and you're not out in public a lot and you're being really careful and washing your hands and. Um, but we were vacillating between these two horrible traumas and somehow the two of them balanced each other out. So you never really felt, I mean, every day we felt like we were, you know, drowning, but mm. we, we were able, because you, you couldn't stay just as soon as you thought you were drowning because of the violence, you had a breast cancer issue. <laughs> you had to like wow. switch and call the oncologist because yeah. of some weird side effect. And so, so, so tell me, do you think that in a weird way, did that help you cope with both because you had yes. other things to focus on? Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely. wondering. I, I definitely think there was that, um, it gave it, um, in a weird way. And, and especially now looking back, we all four of us went immediately into a trauma-based treatment program for PTSD and work with somebody um, pretty heavily for the first six weeks after the home invasion. And it totally helped. Oh, Um, really? Yeah, it was, it was actually incredibly awesome. Um, and I mean, it's how I can tell this story and I really don't even get 
my blood pressure up. It's a little bit like I move the memory out of the trauma area of the brain mm. and um, put it, it. It's just, it's just another memory. My heart is still pounding. Like <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's still a scary story. Mm. I mean, things that do trigger me are like a skeleton mask. Absolutely. Like, uh, uh-uh. uh, take that. No, you yeah. go away from me. No skeleton mask. Um, unfortunately still to this day, uh, they have not been caught. Mm. It's still an ongoing investigation. Um, there was maybe a lead and it didn't, didn't end up panning out. And so we are, we are still waiting. Um, we did try to live in our house for a year and we finally realized you can't unsee it. It as much as you want to, to not give up. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up making a move just to a completely different county, um, mm-hmm. to where it feels very safe and secure. So, so you, you started though, by, by making some real positive changes in your neighborhood while you were yeah. still attempting to live there. Right. And, um, so I saw a real cool story on, on the news about that, that activity that you guys led in your neighborhood really really block party yeah yeah Yeah. but but ultimately i mean it's just one of those things where you have to get to the point where you can sleep at night and i i i just i can't even imagine anybody being able to long term go to bed in the same house where something like that happened to your family well and we kind of thought it was us and it turned out we went on a vacation uh, last summer and we all, we couldn't believe it. We were all sleeping. We were like sleeping eight hours, nine hours a night. And we were like, oh, it's not us. It is truly the house. The house is not going to change, but we actually can. Right. And, and the boys really didn't like being at the house at all. I mean, and then, then, and we kind of jokingly called it the murder house and it, mm. cause it felt like that. And mm-hmm. that's just not, I think cancer, the perspective of, I kind of felt like my own body had tried to kill me and then thugs were trying to kill like two, Mm. which does put into perspective every time I have a side effect these days, I'm like, nothing's been able to kill me yet. So I'm pretty sure it's okay. Not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. But it's very- Still go to the doctor though. I do. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Just checking. I called him the other day. I'm like, I'm having these weird cramps. And they're like, oh, blood clot. I'm like, I don't think it's a blood clot. And then they forgot to call me back. And so instead of panicking all weekend, I just was like, I haven't died yet. I'm going to make it till Monday when they call me. (laughs) Okay. But okay. So it's awesome that you've got that perspective, but medical professionals, if you're listening to this, and and somebody comes and has a test on blood clots on a Friday, go ahead and feel free to get back to them that day and don't make them wait the weekend. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That seemed a little, and it was actually it's a rough. three day weekend. So I had to wait till Tuesday. Oh my goodness. To find out like, Oh yeah, you're right. I did go online and Google Dr. Google to say, how do you know if you have a blood clot? And I didn't have any of those symptoms. I just had cramping. Okay. So, Good. So so how much did, so you mentioned earlier, um, your faith and, and I'm curious to know how much that's played into how you've dealt with both of these traumatic events in your life. Prayer, do you go to church? Like what, how do you, has that played a factor in, um, in your 
kind of addressing and recovering from both of these things? Well, I think the main thing has been that I have a mantra that there's enough for 10 minutes. Sometimes there's not enough for 10 minutes. Some of these are not enough for five minutes. And so you just break it down to what there is enough for. And there's always enough for 10 seconds. I can always get through 10 seconds. And I, I just really believe that God gives me that, that piece to get through 10 seconds at a time. And there are days that I have only gotten from 10 seconds to 10 seconds to maybe five minutes back to 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when you're diagnosed, I mean, you know, you, you all of a sudden have to be like, it's like COVID restrictions. You're sheltering in place because you can't go out. So I lost my church community um, because I, I went to a church was very social and they, everybody hugs you and shakes your hand. And I didn't want to be the sick girl that was like, Oh, I can't touch you. And that was too hard then. So, um, I, I relied on my friends. I had huge support groups, prayer groups um, involved in just kind of being there and supporting me and uplifting mm-hmm. me and um, and just believing that when I was never alone um, and that I wouldn't be given more than I could handle. Although there are days that I very much question mm-hmm. that. And I was, I was so blessed to have um, you know, that Steve and I actually were married and I had this spouse that was in it from, you know, like every moment. And it turns out he is just this amazingly gifted caregiver. Mm-hmm. And I'd had a accident a couple years before when we were on a vacation in Hawaii where I fell in the road and um, busted my knee open and my knee and I had to go have stitches. And so I see weird stuff happens to me. Yeah. And literally he had to walk out of the room because I was given a tetanus shot and they had to stitch my knee in the lidocaine. And so he had stepped out because he is that freaked out about medical stuff. Wow. And now he's with me and he's going to oh, urgent, you know, chemos and ports and surgery. And then dealing with your drains and all that stuff and cleaning yeah. my drain. And then, um, it really pushed the boundary when they were like, you're going to have to give her a shot for 10 days after each chemo. And he did it for almost all of them until I finally got brave enough to do it myself and then relieved him of it. Oh, but man. he has just been my rock and he's funny and um, that support and it, it has been critical and just being surrounded by such good friends and family. Like we've had just amazing support. The, the lunch ladies um, donated So that happened March 4th and I didn't go back to school until June. I did a little bit at the very end of the year, uh, mainly because I missed them so much, but they all donated sick leave. So I never actually took a day off during that time. Yeah. So my, just these amazing women gave up their sick time so that I wouldn't have to go unpaid. Um, Because my my plan was to, they told me I was going to be able to work during chemo and um, unfortunately, the way my body reacted, chemo was extremely, I, there was many days I couldn't even get up at all. And they tell you, oh, you're going to have a better reaction to chemo if you walk and you're, you know, I started off walking to chemo thinking, I got this, I can, I can go a mile a day or around the block. And it absolutely just did me in. And so I did four treatments of AC. Um, those were supposed to be every two weeks and a couple 
um, delays in there. And then I went on Taxol and that was supposed to be 12 weeks every week. Um, and Taxol is supposedly if you have a hard time on the first one, Taxol is easier, but Taxol ended up being so hard. Um, we had to discontinue it after four treatments. Oh, wow. I would, I would take a, Amazon used to deliver groceries in these silver cold bags. And so I would take my silver cold bag filled with ice packs to stick my feet in while I was getting my chemo, because apparently that would make your neuropathy not be so bad. And I would wrap my hands in ice bags and my feet would be in this bag with ice. And still the neuropathy got to the point where it was potentially going to be chronic if we went any further. So we had to cut my chemo even in half. So I went from needing 16 treatments to I only actually ended up with eight. Oh, wow. Which kind of freaks you out. You're like, uh, well, did we get it? Right. But I I figure if it can take off every hair in your body, including your nose hair, no one even knows that your nose hair falls out. That's a weird feeling. (laughs) Hey, look, I got to tell you, as a 43-year-old guy who just recently started discovering nose hair, well, not recently, maybe the last five years, but um, that would be welcome. I'd be very welcome to to that. It's, It's strange. Except it gets really cold. Like, Literally there's, it's up there. Like you're, I kind of felt like I needed to pinch my nose a lot because my nose holes were cold. (laughs) That's that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And to the day, two weeks after that chemo started, I start pulling my hair. I was like one of those birds that pulls out its own feathers. Like once your hair starts falling out, you can't stop. It's like peeling a sunburn. Like you just sit there. Yeah. And my husband looks at me, he's like, we got to shave it. You you are like a crazy person. You're like pulling your hair out. This is weird. So he shaved my head for me. Oh, how cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, I'm finding um, this podcast to be interesting because um, I'm discovering how differently people perceive the hair loss thing. And I definitely, there's got to be a gender component to it, I think, because I think even with Joe, when she was on, I mentioned, I think it was Joe, but um, I mentioned when I started doing that, like it was, to me, it was like strangely satisfying to pull my hair out. And she had it. Yeah. So she had a different response, right? Cause she's like, uh, I wasn't happy to lose my hair. So I didn't mean to apply that she was happy, but it is a weird feeling. Like it's, it's kind, it is kind of addictive. I think you can't stop. Yeah. Yeah interesting so did yeah, you go- and he was like uh you are being total weirdo you we need to cut that off that's <laughs> did- not healthy to pluck your own and then sit there and look at a pile of your own hair it's incredibly disturbing <laughs> and then my eyebrows fell off and my eyelashes fell off yeah i had no nose hair i was like a dolphin yeah yeah the, for me the 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 weird ones were the the um eyebrows and the eyelashes just because it made my eyes look super weird I thought but um so did you end up doing like a did you do a wig how'd you how did you address the hair loss um I had a wig I had bought a very inexpensive one that was kind of fun it was really curly and like kind of reddish and so it's very different yeah the problem I had is I was so so sick during that time that when you put on a wig and you put on your fake eyelashes and you draw on some eyebrows 
everybody thinks you're fine. And I didn't, for the first time in my life, I gave myself the excuse to not be fine. Mm. I was not going to pretend. And so I had some really cool scarves and um, kind of like a big, like we now, now everybody has a buff, but I would wear a buff and then my baseball caps over the top of them because your head is actually really cold. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah. Um, my worst fear though was sleeping and that here, this man I had just married was going to wake up in the night and my big bald head and my no eyebrows, I was going to be, he was going to be staring at that. So I did sleep in my buffs. Oh, what's a buff? Um, I don't even know what a buff is. You know, for COVID you can wear the, they're like a neck. Oh, okay. Where you can pull them up. Well, I would just pull it up and it went over the top of my head. I see. Okay. So you can kind of hide it. Yeah. Huh. Well, so I just, I wanted to, that's super interesting, but I just wanted to circle back to something I was saying about gender perception and things like that with hair loss. So for me, when I lost my hair, um, and I know lots of guys that are completely bald, but I didn't have any thoughts about um, anything other than I have an ugly shaped head. Right. And I think um, like for my wife and daughters all have beautiful hair. So I can't imagine what they would think about losing that. And then, you know, compensating for replacing that. So that, I guess that's what I mean about the potential differences for the way people approach it. Cause I think, I don't know, I, I haven't asked a ton of guys, but I would think most guys don't have a ton of thoughts other than how do I look bald type of thing. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a different thing to deal with, I think. For Well, for it women. definitely made me more empathetic for my husband and his need to wear a hat. And it's, it's chilly back there. Yeah. And I just decided that the, the, I had my, I don't think I ever wore my, I think I wore it once, my wig. I mean, okay. even for my son's graduation, it was like, do I wear the wig so that the pictures look normal? So that when we look back someday, it's not, there's my cancer mom. But I really ended up deciding I had this beautiful scarf. I wear my, I wear my fancy scarf that day and I wear a big hat. And for me, it was like, actually this, we're not going to forget about this time in life. And we, I don't want to look back and go, oh, there's normal mom. No, that was actually when I was like, you graduated from high school while your mom had cancer and you were a victim of violent home invasion. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. And we're not going to live any more days pretending to be something else. Yeah. that's So for me, it was very liberating to just be like, yeah. Now I did not ever just go out without my, I, I, there's brave women that just show up bald and all. And it's amazing. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So I always had some kind of covering, but. I really think that's an interesting perspective you shared about, you know, you didn't want to dress up and get it all ready because you didn't want to give the perception that everything is okay or things are normal, right? Like, I think that's kind of power. It's kind of le- like leaning into your experience, right? Like, this is my normal for right now. And yeah. no need to, you know, cover it up. I, that's, I, I think, really, really powerful. Can you talk at all about how much, um, it sounds like the therapy that you guys went to early on, right? The first couple of weeks around PTSD and dealing with that stuff. How 
um, how much follow on has there been from that between you and your family um, and, and continued help around that? Like what, how is everybody doing since, you know, it's, it's been a little over a year, I guess. Um, yeah. So we are, we are good. So we ended up um, being able to move and kind of starting over a whole new County in a small town, which has always kind of been a dream of mine. And that, that wouldn't have had, we were, and we're, so there's this silver linings, grateful feeling because we would have probably never done this if we hadn't had the experience, had the home invasion. Um, I, the youngest son has gone to college and he chose to go to a college in a very small town. That's also, he looked at the crime stats, Mm. a very safe area. Um, So he's living an awesome time. COVID of course has turned everybody's um, life upside down, but um, he's doing really well. My other son has gone back to school and for him, he's the one, he actually didn't do quite as much therapy because at the time he wasn't as affected um, or was covering it up so well that she was like, I think you should wait. And he's probably struggled more than all of us since then, but we've all, we all are very, very open and we all talk about the story. Uh, There's none of us that are trying to pretend it didn't happen. It really created a bond that I don't know how between the four of us would have happened any other way. Mm -mm. So that is a silver lining for sure. And um, the perspective of almost dying from outside hands versus my own body trying to off me does um, is balanced that that Mm. provides a balance that makes my brain not spin crazy thoughts. Mm. If that makes sense. It's just funny. And it's made the rest of my treatments um, because it's been, I mean, I'm still, I'm coming up on two years of being diagnosed and I am like every day is a mystery to my body of mm. what the heck I, I was actually at the doctor this week and now I'm having one more surgery. It will be the eighth, ninth, ninth surgery. Which um, one is this one? Well, I ended up, so I went through um, chemo. I came off chemo because it gave me neuropathy way too bad. And they said, we're going to give you six weeks off and, or eight weeks off. You have the summer and we're going to start radiation in September. So I started having, let's see, how did it go? My plastic surgeon said, we should, before you have radiation, because your skin changes so much for reconstruction, let's go ahead and you'll you'll have a good month after chemo, your body can regenerate, you can be strong, We'll we'll swap out your expander, and we will put in your implant. Um, So here's what I should have, like, this is so me. I am signed up. I go to pre-op surgery. Um, I uh, get, oh, it's 12 hours before. So it's like four o'clock the day before I'm going in for surgery. I get a call from the plastic surgeon's office and they say, "Um, your implant, your special implant has been recalled today at like three. 
Um, it's the one he prefers, but we've ordered like the not so good one and it's coming. It'll be here first thing in the morning on a FedEx flight. So here comes my new boob. We're from wherever, but it's not even the good one anymore because the good one got recalled for like, it's going to kill you. So I should have at that point said, Hmm, I think I'll just pass and let's talk about a different kind of reconstruction, but I was committed. And so I go in for surgery. My boob flies in from wherever they put in my implant and my body no go. Like it does not like it. I have two drains that will not stop. Um, I'm draining for four weeks, like way too much liquid. They can't even consider taking it out of the drains, but now the drain. So then they decide, okay, we'll swap it out because it obviously doesn't like that implant. Mm-hmm. So they go back in a month later, reopen it up, take it, wash everything out with antibiotic fluid, put a new one in new drains and nope. So they said, we, we won't let you drain for more than three weeks this time. To support the Full of Hope podcast, please go to the Support the Podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear the positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves, your support will be huge to help us grow. So when, when they didn't have the surgeon's preferred implant, well, like, what was the reasoning that they couldn't just wait until one was available? Like, it, it, the one, the second one that they put in didn't work, and then did they replace it with another one that was like the the B team in terms of implant? Or apparently, like- so whatever the brand was that is the A team one that they all loved. Um, so I had a textured implant, so I didn't have to go under my pec; it went on top of my pec. And I had my own skin at that point. So the idea was that this texture kind of adheres to your, um, the wall of your chest. And it, it, and something in that texture from company A, the FDA decided recall, we can't use that brand anymore. And that was the leading brand that most doctors were using. So we, so, and he's like, don't worry, brand B is fine going to be fine it's almost identical but I'm like but it's not brand a and and my body I I really don't think it mattered which brand it was because I think at the end of the day putting plastic after what you know they took my body to the brink and then brought it back to life and there was no way anything was going in there it was like yeah no and in hindsight I I warned them from day one and said I don't think my body's gonna like plastic so I kind of, again, like that's where you know your own body the best. So trust it and fight for it, advocate for yourself. So we ended up having to go back into surgery and pull the second implant. And that was very traumatizing. It was um, extremely hard. And they, when they do that, the idea was I was going into radiation. So they tried to leave as much skin. I don't know. Sometimes there's pictures of breast cancer survivors and they have a very if they're flat they have a very nice little seam and they're just nothing but it's not like a murder scene where I had like all this crazy skin and scars and it just looked so horrible what was left but because I it had been the drains I I just I I had no choices so I had to be flat on one side Mm -hmm. which now means you have to wear prosthetics 
Okay. And this just, that just is the worst. It just sucks. I mean, at the time, mm-hmm. my favorite thing in the whole wide world is something called a knitted knocker because the prosthetic is this like heavy thing and it's hot and kind of a pain. And, but I, these knitted knockers are people all over the country. They make them for you. They're these little knitted, like putting socks in your bra. They, and they just go right in and they're lightweight and they're easy. And it, it made me so happy. Oh, so wow. I wear my knitted knockers for uh, a year, just about 10 months. And uh, in June, um, I was a very good candidate for something called a deep flap surgery. So that means they do it like a tummy tuck. They, they relocated my love muffin is what I like to call it. They actually um, incision across your stomach from hip bone to hip bone and cut out a giant chunk and then form a breast out of your own tissue and sew all the veins into your chest wall veins. (laughs) It's kind of fascinating and amazing. This is amazing. Yeah. It really is. And I, I, out of my office, Dr. Hedder did not do that surgery. They have somebody there. um, His name is um, Dr. Bailey and he, he's fantastic. I mean, he's, he's a brilliant doctor. I don't, that, um, surgery for me was only supposed to be for one side to do that work. It's about six to seven hours. And I was under for nine and a half. Um, and that you go straight into the ICU for three days. And so this is all during COVID. So like the crazy thing. So we show up for, you have to go have a COVID test before, um, and the hospital sent my text, not to UW, but to Arizona. So I arrived, took all my pre-meds. Yeah, all my pre-meds. I, we get to the hospital, you know, at dark 30 in the morning. My mentality, I'm, I've had my Xanax. I'm ready for surgery. Everything's lined up. Hello, fresh is coming. Life is going to be ready for me to have this massive surgery. And the darn, the darn test got sent to Arizona and they, they won't do surgery without the test Oh my! and you can't do an instant test. So they send me home. I don't. So, you know, I like fall apart. And then I'm thinking it's a sign. It's a sign that I'm not supposed to have another surgery. And I, it took a couple of days, but mm. I got is that the brain. Home. Is that the brain tickler test that they do? Oh, COVID? like it makes me gag to even think it was, at that point, it's when they like it was being jammed to the back of your brain in both nostrils for fifteen seconds each, ten seconds each. Ugh. It was awful, like tears. What? So the the worst part of the whole thing was that I had to do another COVID test <laughs> two weeks later, so that and make sure. Well, the hospital changed their whole policy over how they handled it because my doctor was so you know he lost. They were ready. The surgical suite was ready. The room was ready. They had reserved ICU for me. Mm. So two weeks later, we redo the whole thing and we get there pre-op. It's all good. COVID test is fine. Um, and it, my um, surgery ended up taking so nine and a half hours. And apparently when I came out, they give you like when they're going to pull your intubation tube, they give you a, a shot of, um, some type of narcotic, like, so that, that you don't react as it comes out. Well, it actually made me stop breathing. So then they had to bag me 
And I kind of remember like waking up, like I couldn't breathe, like they were suffocating me, but I thought I was having a dream because you're so out of it. Yeah. But my first words were, oh my gosh, do I have have a breast? And the nurse that was there, she's like, oh yes, you have a breast. Because there's Mm -hmm. a chance they move it all and the veins don't take and they clot off instantly and you end up, and then it's kind of serious because they've taken away the skin and then you have this open wound. Oh gosh, it would be Mm -hmm. horrible. Mm -hmm. So it took... And my second question was because my whole life I was born with a birthmark on my stomach. And he said, there is a chance when I move the love muffin, the birthmark will go with it. And sure enough, I was like, it is the birthmark there. And she's like, yeah, it is. But again, the night of your, when you wake up, you're like looking down your shirt. This looks amazing. Oh my gosh. And Mm. for me, you know, the fact that I, I, I don't know how many times I've left the house without a knitted knocker. And then you're like, oh, I'm at the grocery store. I'm on a run and I forgot my boob. Like, oh, mm-hmm. they were in the car. They were in the, like, oh my gosh. they're all gone. And so that part is just awesome. I yeah. love that. And you've and got was, a flatter stomach now, right? And I got a tummy tuck. What yeah. the heck? I know. So that part... It was my hardest surgery, but my, he told me to go into it. Um, I had a frozen shoulder after the other failed surgeries that I rehabbed for nine months. And those failed, um, or that frozen shoulder, like, he's like, I want your shoulder better and I want you in the best shape. So I was running eight miles before surgery and my shoulder was better. And it was within, um, two weeks. So it's funny when you have a tummy tuck, they like pull you so tight that you're bent over and literally part of your rehab is learning to stand up straight again and letting that skin stretch so you can be upright. Oh. And so it took about two weeks until I could be upright for a significant amount of time to go like walk a mile because you don't realize when you're totally bent over, your back hurts so stinking bad. Right. So I started walking about two weeks um, later, a mile, and within a month, I was doing five miles, and within two months, I hiked up a mountain um, 14 miles. Oh, my gosh. Were were you in um, on the same team that Joe does with the the exercise? No, Joe, like, hiked a real mountain. I hiked a mountain called Mount Eleanor, and it was only 14 miles, but it was straight up, and I've never done anything like that. So, and I did see a mountain goat. What? I know. It's the whole reason I went. And truth be told, when I researched it, I thought it was seven miles round trip. And apparently the hiking apps only put, when they say out and back, seven miles means seven miles out and seven miles back. So I would not have gone if I had known it was 14 miles. So, oh my gosh. I, I yeah. But that's, you did it. Yeah. I did. I couldn't walk for a week, but I did it. Yeah. And We're, somehow in my brain, when I do something like that, it's like if I can go up this mountain and find a mountain goat, cancer will not come back. Who did you go with somebody? Yeah, that was my other mistake. And so now I do carry the 10 essentials when I hike, even if I think it's only a six mile hike and not. 14 miles. Um, no, I, I did it solo. And on the way down, um, I didn't see anybody for five miles and I was sure I was going to get eaten by a bear. 
and I only had one bottle of water. So I sang, uh, first it was Kenny Rogers, the gambler over and over and over really loud. And then I just made up songs the whole way down until I reached the car, which then I cried when I saw my car and I, I was so happy, but. Oh my gosh. Are you good directionally? Like, or did you have something on your phone telling you where to go? I would have been, I'm terrible with directions. I would have been mortified. I will. It is out and back. So I was like, oh, I remember that specific, like that tree had that really cool roots. And Uh so I I knew I was always on the right trail, Hmm. but it was a little like I told, ended up telling Steve, interestingly enough, where we live, we have really bad cell coverage, but somehow on that mountain, I had cell coverage. So I sent him a note that's like, okay, um, this was a lot longer than I thought. I need you to text me every 20 minutes. Not before or after, but every 20 minutes until I get, till I tell you I'm down. Because then I, I knew it took me 20 minutes to go up for every mile. So I would race his text down the mountain because I was like, I'll be another mile if, yeah. if I, before his text. And then yeah. I can gauge how much further I have to go. So yeah. Brilliant. I raced his text down the mountain in uh, order to uh. say, yeah, I won't do that again. No. I would definitely no, hike with a friend. Hiking. Yeah. Hike with a friend, people. Don't go hiking alone ever. No. 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 Uh, yeah. It's, it's, what's the deal? So you just kind of breezed right on by it, but tell me more about this. What the heck's a frozen shoulder? Um. So after my, when we were trying to save the implants, they were like, do not move your arm. Like basically, like if you want to put it in a sling, put it in a sling. Well, our bodies get to a certain age, like you got to move that stuff or it doesn't, it quits working. And literally, I mean, I went from being a tennis player, very active, like my arm no longer from the shoulder area, no longer worked. And it starts off super painful. And then it just almost is like, like literally you cannot like no, and nobody else can move it. It just is stuck. Mm. Um, so I had uh, one doctor um, put in like, five lidocaine shots all the way through the socket and then dropped 50 cc's of fluid so it's like these adhesions when you don't move it form and so he blew out the adhesions with this only the weirdest things happened to me oh my goodness then you have to go into pt and slowly slowly start uh working back the problem with my frozen shoulder was that i had it while i was in radiation and in radiation you have to put your arm over your head so they can like radiate all your armpit. And so they would literally have to like crank my arm into this thing behind my head and then like hold it there for a second so that it didn't fling out Mm. because it like, it just didn't do that in my eye. I would just, I would just cry. And uh, radiation was an interesting journey. Most people like I have fairly, um, like a, a tan complexion. I, I never burn. It's pretty dark. Uh, and they were like, oh, you're, you should be fine. Oh, no. It like blistered, burnt, bloody, gross, awful oh. sores. I had 24 shots of it. And all while I had this ridiculous, and the thing that no one tells you, so it's left side. So they're shooting radiation right above your heart. 
And they're like, oh, we're not going to shoot your heart because there's a breathing technique. And nobody tells you that the breathing technique is actually a snorkel. And I'm not kidding when I say snorkel, like a snorkel goes into your mouth and you snorkel for seven minutes of radiation. And you do this breath hold in a snorkel thing that's jammed in your mouth. They let me keep it. And I hung it on the Christmas tree the first year. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Do you have pictures of yourself like using it like during the radiation? Did anybody take pictures? No, I never did that. I, by the time I hit radiation, I I had lost my implant. It was, Mm. those were some hard months. I did Mm -hmm. buy myself a convertible because I felt like that needed something needed to happen. So I bought myself a convertible to drive to radiation. Nice. With only one breast. Yeah. And my knitted knocker. <laughs> so so the the breathing technique helped so they didn't stick the needle in your heart. Well, no, so you, when you're doing radiation, so you wear so you lay on this table and this big giant moving thing comes over and it beams the radiation into the certain area. Like I had a tattoo um, in the middle of my chest so they would know where, and then they lay this like, like a giant gummy bear mat over your chest. So my radiation is actually a perfect rectangle on my chest under my armpit, like you can, and you can still see it. They told me, oh yeah, that'll fade. It'll only be there for six months. Oh no, I have the weirdest Hmm. radiation burn pattern ever. It's just a weird, and so they, your arms above your head, and then you, they put the snorkel in your mouth, and then you have to do these holds, and literally they, they turn your air off in your snorkel when they want you to quit breathing so that they can shoot the radiation uh, when your breath, when your chest is expanded, so mm-hmm. they don't shoot your heart because that would be bad for right. you. Right. Yeah. So literally, you're like trying not to die of cancer, but they're trying to kill you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. <laughs> it's all crazy. It's it's well, it's crazy, but it's also amazing too, right? Like, think about. I, I mean, I'm guessing it's a technique that didn't exist. 40 years ago, right? Probably. Oh, no. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you're definitely sound like one of these cases where I'm sure the people listening are like, oh my gosh, like this story sounds horrible like this. And it is horrible, right? And you've got all the, all the possible outliers, but I guess the positive side of it is, you know, here you are today, right? And, you know, these, I'm guessing that the overall collection of the experiences have have provided some perspective and, and given you some strength and confidence, maybe that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't change. I mean, as hard as it has been, and I think my husband would say the same thing, we wouldn't change it. Absolutely. I mean, we we're all alive. Life is hard. Life is, no one gets a guarantee that life is not going to be hard. Life is just downright hard. And living a life where not believing that, being hard and having it suck doesn't have to go together. You Mm -hmm. can be, it can be hard and you can be full of hope and full of love and kindness and um, perseverance and grit and all of that to make joy. I, I, I just, the hardship is what creates the beautiful joy on the other side. And I believe in that 
um, I wouldn't be where I am. I'm like living my best dream right now. I'm living, I, I have a view of water. Uh, I watched a Navy ship pull in today and I wouldn't have this. And my kids are healthy and Steve's staples all are fine and in his head healed. And um, it gave us such a, we've lived in our two, we just celebrated our second anniversary in our two years of marriage are like a lifetime of experience yeah. and that yeah. we survived that gives us this confidence in our selves and in our relationship that we wouldn't have had. I mean, kind of old and we're doing this whole getting married thing again. And how's it really going to work? Like it, we're unshakable that way. Yeah. And because of what we've dealt with, and there's something that is such a beautiful feeling to not have relationship doubt mm-hmm. <laughs> or like he's just my person and I'm his person and we laugh together and tell jokes and and try to not take life so darn seriously because it is it's too hard to take that seriously and when we get in a situation where we're like well this sucks um we just go okay we look at what we've come from look at where we've been this is, we got this, we can yeah. do this. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it's that, that perseverance that got us through and the outlook, like knowing like, this is the worst it could be. Like we really did the worst. I mean, I, I hope knock on wood mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that we've seen the worst of it all. Um, And if it's not, we have all the skills now Yeah. to co- overcome just about anything. And we just, we just go day at a time and that 10 minutes at a time, stay focused on what we know is true, uh, what is right, and uh, try to be kind every day and mm. not look at the the heart. I mean, it could have drowned us. It really yeah. could have. Yeah. And we just didn't choose that path. Yeah. We really chose the side of love and hope and we kind of started a, a hashtag love wins because at the end of the day that's we couldn't have done it without our friends and family and uh, it's just it gives you a I, I feel blessed to have the perspective I have and yeah. the empathy I have for other people yeah it's it's a beautiful thing I mean it's you know I, hearing your both both of your stories right like they, they're inner very interconnected and and play off of one another but both of them are are such such challenges that you would never wish them on somebody but the perspective that they gave you and and the depth that it helped give your relationships you know that that's hard i would imagine to find through any other way than this great adversity you've overcome yeah, I just don't, I don't think as humans, we're capable of the joy without the pain. Yeah. I really believe in that side of it. And so we've committed to kind of living a freer, more truthful life and kind of not wearing the wig kind of life. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we're not going to pretend. Um, we're, if If we say yes to something, we are always able to come back and say no, like change our minds. Mm -hmm. And I've actually never really lived that kind of life. I've always, I'm a firstborn people pleaser, do what's expected, line it all up perfectly, make everybody feel good. 
And it's kind of given me this freedom to like, actually, it doesn't work for me. And it turns out nobody really expected all that stuff anyway. So I was just running in place. Yeah. It wasn't getting me anywhere. Yeah. And it was kind of making me miserable. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I think we can kind of get in those patterns where all of a sudden we're, we think we're doing what everybody wants us to do. And it turns out it's not even what they really cared about, but oh, well, well, and, and, and our experiences changed that. And now yeah. we're, who knows? I don't know what I'm going to do. I keep, I actually Googled the other day. What do you, what do I do when I grow up? <laughs> Amazing. What was, do you remember? Ryan's not even, Ryan's not even there yet. He no, hasn't even thought about even, trying to Google that. Not even ready. But did, did anything pop up that like you, that intrigued you or you found interesting in searching for that? No. No. No, I do that. have a giant box um, put away that says the book because I, I journaled mm. all along and I can't decide what the book is truly going to be about because it really could be a lot of things mm-hmm. um, and whether or not I write that someday, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Well, this, this will at least be one step in re- at least recording your story and, and sharing it with others. And you can reflect on it, right? Like what you liked and what you would want to share again or differently or add to, or you definitely, there's a book in there. There's, there's probably multiple <laughs> books in there. I'm gonna... I know. I did think it could be like a really scary Jillian Flynn, Ooh. like scary fiction. Yeah. Go fiction. Like with God it. Girl. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, mm, I don't really like scary stories. <laughs> oh, true. But you lived one. Like, you, I know. Who has a better I perspective? I scary story. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, this was uh, amazing. Um, so glad to hear, you know, things are going well for you. You seem, you seem like a very happy, well-adjusted, like, incredibly joyful person in light of everything. Um that you've been through. And, and frankly, as we discussed, I think part of that joy comes from, you know, the seeing, seeing what it looks like to be diversity and overcome and do it with people you love. And, you know, I think that's really powerful. So. Yeah. Super excited for you, Tracy. For the, Thank for you your so future. much. Yeah. If well, you're, if you're open to it, I, I, I want to check in with you in maybe a, a six months or a year's time. And we'll, we'll do, uh, you know, episode three of the podcast to just catch our listeners up because I'm sure they'll be interested. Well, my hope is that you call me up and I'm like, oh, my life is so boring. Like uh, I have yeah. no medical stump stumpers for the doctors. I'm like all normal. Ready for I've got nothing to share. I have one or two stories for you. I've got nothing to share. Hashtag ready for normal, right? Or boring. Ready for boring. Ready for boring. Like, mm, yeah. I I I have not I haven't had that happen yet. So um, we will see. But yes, hopefully I will be done with my surgeries. Um and really, yeah, I really I feel like um this podcast is so important because it's so hard to find information about how people really go through the mm-hmm. process of whatever kind of cancer diagnosis there is and, and finding the real story. Cause I kept, you can find the book that's like breast cancer and then you read all the technical terms, but like, I wanted to know how did they feel? What mm-hmm. they feel like when they got there? What was, you know, what's the real story? Yeah. Um, I've had, three oncologists retire 
no, two oncologists retire, one moved to Chicago, and now I'm with another one, but there I have to drive all the way to Seattle, so I'm kind of thinking about a change. So five oncologists in two years. I mean, it's hard. And so I just, my hope is that it's all slow and boring. Yeah. Hoping. You don't even have a podcast. You'll just check in and be like, yeah, Tracy's, she's just. She's cool. Having cocktails and enjoying you. She good. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Okay. Well, well, we'll definitely stay in touch. Is there, oh, is there, is there anything that you wanted to share? I know, um, go ahead and, and share your real estate website again uh, for the user listeners. I always say users because I'm a software developer, but <laughs> for the listeners, um, uh, at least locally in Washington state. Awesome. Well, I write a blog on there. It's at www.steveandtracy uh, and it's T-R-A-C-Y dot net. I write a home blog. So it's actually a blog. I put recipes on there and all things home. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Decorating ideas. Love it. Road trips. Really yeah. good restaurants. I'll be checking it out. I, I yeah. could use some new restaurants. Yeah. There's this really cool place in Lily Wap. See, I didn't even know about Lily Wap. Um, Lily Wap is on the Hood Canal. Super cool. It's called Mike's Beach Resort. If you need a vacation. Check it out. Check it out. Mike's Beach really Resort cool. and Lily Wap. Okay. Lily Wap. And that's just a fun word to say. It For sure. It made me happy. <laughs> All right, Tracy. Well, thanks a lot again. And, uh, you know, best of luck to you in the future. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks, guys. Tracy. To find information about today's episode, how to support the podcast, or find out how you can share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com. All of our social media info is there, or you can just look on all platforms for Full of Hope Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and sharing with a friend. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Tracy's story is living proof that there is so much reason to be full of hope. Full of hope.